The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I have two guests on the show today. First, I chat with Councilmember Mitch O'Farrell from LA's 13th District, followed by Anna Hachaturian, who is an educator, founder of Phoenix Arts Foundation, as well as the producer of the brand new film, Garuna, which means it's spring. Council member Mitch O'Farrell has represented the 13th district of Los Angeles since 2013, which includes the neighborhoods of Atwater Village, East Hollywood, Hollywood, Larchmont Village, Little Armenia, Silver Lake, and several more. Mitch helped lead the city's response to COVID-19, including the establishment of the largest rental relief program in the country, providing over 1 million in direct grants to small businesses and theaters in the 13th district. Mitch has successfully worked with state and county partners to bring billions of dollars in funding to address the city's homelessness crisis. In 2017, he also spearheaded the city's efforts to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. Most recently, Mitch secured the permanent installation of the All Black Lives Matter decorative design on Hollywood Boulevard at Highland Avenue, which serves as a tribute to the historic march that elevated the voices of transgender and queer people of color. So Mitch, uh, congrats on a successful campaign so far. This is your uh, because of term limits, this is your third and last time you're going to run for uh, LA City Council. Yes. Um, how do you feel as things are uh, now? I feel really good because we have set the table, so to speak, for so many great things to come to fruition in this third term. We've laid the groundwork for the Hollywood Walk of Fame master plan. Uh, we have our Armenian Gateway under construction and it will be dedicated this calendar year. We have streetscapes uh, that we've completed, but more coming in, in historically neglected parts of the district. We have traffic safety measures that are coming in. We've got the Los Angeles River Master Plan and uh, the creation of a revenue stream for infrastructure and habitat restoration coming in. Mm -hmm. um, we are envisioning the future of the Silver Lake Reservoir Complex with the community. Uh, and we have so many of these processes in place, not to mention policy, uh, leading the way in the city to get the city of Los Angeles to 100% carbon-free energy by 2035. Uh, and the next handful of years are going to be critical to ensure that we achieve that target. And it really is a moral and climate imperative that we do so. So those are just some of the things that I'm excited about. We have a record of getting things done, uh, a good track record. So we're making the case, I'm meeting new voters from the new parts of the district after redistricting, and it's exciting. Um, we're jazzed, we're ready, and we're, we're bringing it all forward. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of accomplishments and a lot of uh... Uh, very ambitious agenda. 
What do you think uh, has been uh, some of your highlights in the last, uh, what, since 2013, I want to say? Right, right. Um, I'll work my way backwards. So just last Monday, we dedicated a new bridge uh, in Elysian Valley, and it's the Taylor Yard Bridge. I've worked on that bridge since 2003 when I was on the staff of my predecessor. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was a council member, a new council member back in 2013, we really began putting the building blocks in place to lead to last Monday. And it's a multimodal bridge, beautifully designed by some incredible architects and, and engineers. And it's my third bridge across the Los Angeles River in my district that I've worked on. Uh, and so that's an incredible achievement. When you can build a bridge across a river, uh, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. And I couldn't be more proud. And it connects two communities, Cypress Park on the north side, uh, which is in Council District 1, and then Elysian Valley on the opposite side, which is in the 13th. So we're con literally connecting communities, literally bridging divides. So I yeah. love the symbolism of that. Uh, and we're connecting people to the state park that was dedicated about 20 years ago. Um, and then uh, more recently, my gosh, um, some of our successes. So we adopted and approved uh, the LA 100 uh, master plan several months back. And now I'm just triggering all of the instructions to make that happen. Uh, that followed, uh, what followed on the heels of that was our uh, electric vehicle master plan. We're gonna electrify the entire city fleet, including service vehicles. So that'll happen in my next term. So we're well underway uh, for that. Um, and then, you know, I, I can go back to the very beginning in 2013 and see if I can fill in some blanks. Um, when I was a new council member, I chaired the Arts Parks Committee. And mm -hmm. at that time, two things were dead in the water. The city no longer had any revenue whatsoever from what was called the arts development fee because a, a legal decision had been that um, we couldn't any longer collect funding from new development projects to go into the uh, development and creation of public art. Mm -hmm. I revived that and since then, the city has received millions and millions of dollars, probably tens of millions of dollars. So we're painting murals, we're building sculptures, we're, we're doing things like the Armenian Gateway uh, and the, yeah. the historic Filipino Town Gateway, which is under construction. So that was one of my first real achievements was reviving the arts development fee, along with the arts, we also, something else that was dead in the water was our mural ordinance. I revived that as well in 2014. And that's why so many murals have popped up since then across the city. And they automatically come with a requirement of anti-graffiti coding. So we kind of take care of that as well. Um, and murals are such a big part of sort of Americana, but, Angelino culture and our and our myth mythology and uh, art as we know it now. It's true. Los Angeles has historically been a city of murals, and if you look at the historical record, there's going to be about a ten-year gap from around you know 2005 to around 2013, where not much was happening in LA. But since then, there's been an explosion. So we'll keep that going as well. And just other, other things we've been working on. I mean, I eliminated Columbus Day and created Indigenous Peoples Day. 
That yes. was one of my right. crowning achievements and uh, being of Native American heritage, that was really, really important. So, um, so many things, affordable housing policy. Um, I put in a requirement that when we build affordable housing, it has to have a 55 year covenant at minimum instead of 35 years. That's something that I did in my first term. Um, and then COVID protections. Um, I took a particular leadership role when COVID, the pandemic hit, and I created funding for renters, subsidies, subsidies for small businesses in the 13th. And then the subsidy that I created for renters in the 13th, uh, we took it citywide and we used federal and state funding instead of just my own discretionary funding. So we're gonna come out of the, out of the pandemic stronger in the city than in other places because we had the strongest protections in the United States. And it was an emphasis of protecting renters and keeping renters from becoming evicted. And we successfully did that. And that leadership came out of my office. So it was the collaboration of my colleagues, but that's something I really leaned in on. Yeah. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jurami, and you're listening to my interview with LA Council Member Mitchell Farrell. The, the changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day is just, uh, I mean, it was a great achievement and a great uh, action that you undertook. But then when you think about it, you think, why did we even have that? Why wasn't that changed like decades ago? Um, exactly. So at least we're trying to remedy that now and, and sort of really undo all the damage. Um, I want to ask you, so what do you think, I mean, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of, you know, what you do and uh, some read a lot and some don't. And uh, because of that, there, there, some people are just not informed. What do you think is like the, mo the biggest misconception about not you as a person, not your personally, but uh, about the work you've done? What project do you think is the, the, the most um, maybe uh, didn't get enough attention that the public may not know as much about? That's a great question, Vic. Uh, and I'm really glad you asked it because um, people who don't know, people who maybe only look at Twitter for their news or social media to find out things in LA, uh, some have this belief that I only build luxury housing or that I'm in the pocket of developers but what they don't understand is that outside of downtown Los Angeles, literally no one else has built more affordable housing. And I do mean covenanted low income housing across my district. And so when people see new, uh, you know, maybe they think they're fancy buildings or, or uh, ornate buildings in Hollywood, what they don't realize is that almost all of those buildings have very low income units mixed in. And it's called mixed income, uh, mixed use developments. Yes. So, so we've done that. And I've negotiated all that, uh, over 2,000 and counting. And in Hollywood alone right now, 44.9% of all housing construction, and it's a lot of units. It's, it's well over six, 700 units under construction. Nearly half is covenanted low income, meaning uh, if you're a family and your house, your average uh, household income Say it's $30,000 below half of median income, you do not pay more than one third of that for rent all year. No matter what apartment you have, you might have a one, two or three bedroom apartment, 
you're not going to pay more than a thousand dollars a month for rent. And so we've really succeeded in the production. Overall, as a city, we need to build a lot more. But I have led the charge and have been fearless in fighting for that in my district. And then secondly, I'll say the production of permanent and, and um, transitional housing for people experiencing homelessness. We've stood up so much in my district, the whole spectrum, safe parking, safe sleeping, tiny cabin communities, uh, a, a bridge home projects, and then permanent supportive housing projects. I have a campus under construction right now that's gonna be 454 units of homes for people who are formerly unhoused. Wow. There's nothing else like that in the city and that's under construction right now in my district. And what city is that in? Uh, it is in the West Lake area, uh, right off of Beverly. And that's okay. uh, a ground broke for that some months ago. We're building a whole campus. and. That's, That's because incredible. I work with these project teams and uh, we, you know, we stand this up because it's, it's, it's really the issue of the day is homelessness and the lack of affordable housing. And also people need to realize, I mean, it's really basic stuff is builders, you know, you can't just get all builders to come in and buy and, and build nothing but affordable housing because there are businesses and they also you know, they have to make a profit as well. So there has to be a middle ground, which is what you've done, which is a mix of affordable units with, with just standard, you know, market rate. Exactly. Um, so that you can really bring this, these investments into the city. But on top of that, even as a, as a residue for lack of a better term, even if you build a lot of new buildings and developments, Eventually, that brings down the rent overall because there's more competition. Even if the building happened not to have affordable units, which pretty much all of them do now. So we really have to be, uh, we, we, can't, we can't just think that, you know, there are benevolent people all over, you know, all over the world, all over the country that are just going to come and buy, uh, build 100% affordable units and that be it. We really have to work and uh, sort of meet them halfway. Um, it's, we didn't get to where we are within a year or two or five or 10. We're definitely not gonna solve all of this um, overnight, so. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I think that uh, for some reason, there's this sort of uh, division um, ethos out there. Uh, and I think it's, it can be really damaging and people buy into these tropes, right? That all developers are bad, even if you're, even if you are an affordable housing developer, but somehow you're bad. Well, just think about what inspires people in their careers. I know people who are giving, who are devoting their professional life toward building housing for people who are, who are unhoused, for building housing for people, for families that struggle and have a limited income. So I don't buy into those tropes and no one else should. And if you think about it, we're, we're the second largest city in the United States and everyone, every last one of us live in a development that was built at one time or another. Right. And so it's, it's up to elected officials like myself to hold developers accountable. And I do, I'm very demanding. And 
So it really is about relationship building and consensus building. And if, if a project proposal that is affordable housing or permanent housing for people who are unhoused coming into a neighborhood and some of the neighbors get upset about it and don't want it, well, guess what I do? I dialogue with those neighbors and, and talk to people and describe the merits and I make commitments to them on how a property will be managed, how it will be maintained. And I give reassurances to folks. And then I hold myself accountable to those reassurances. So we have successes all over the district yeah. where people have been a little reluctant or afraid or even opposed to certain things. And uh, we have successfully implemented them and they are then more broadly accepted once they're up and functioning. I'm just usually fascinated, and we can move on from this topic, but fascinated by people who are just anti-development altogether and think, what do they think? What, what do you think happens after 10, 15, 20 years when there's no development? Everything runs down. We don't want to, and not to, not to um, blame Cuba, but look at Cuba. For whatever reason, they haven't had development since the 50s. And so it's just about managed growth managed growth, which is what you are doing, um, so that cities can stay uh, modern and, uh, you know, convenient and, uh, you know, keep up with the demand. I mean, people want to live in Hollywood. Exactly. This is a vibrant city and vibrant cities evolve into the future. It's all how we do that. Yeah. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jurami, and you are listening to my interview with L.A. Council Member Mitchell Farrell. In terms of this post, I'm hoping that it's post-COVID recovery now. Me too. You know, we've said that before, but then we've kind of reverted back to. Um, what are some of the challenges that um, your district is facing going into this hopefully this phase with small businesses and uh, just residents and all of that? Uh, and what are some of your plans or initiatives for that? So that's another great question. Uh, businesses are struggling to find enough of the workforce so that they can function to their full scale, especially restaurants, hospitality industry. In, in a way, that's not a bad thing because workers can demand more of their employers, right? Yeah. And, and so that, that's a good problem to have. Um, but I'm hopeful that as we come out of this pandemic, that businesses uh, can flourish again. They're ready to, but some there's a there's a real issue with uh, staffing at the moment. It's just a very real the unemployment rate's low, and uh, again another a wonderful problem to have. Uh, but we need to our businesses are poised for a real strong comeback. They just need to find the workers, and and so that's important for that. Um, I would say, and believe me, I'm meeting people at their doors again all over the district and uh, everyone is concerned about uh, the unhoused and making sure that we can have this compassionate but determinative approach to addressing the crises and bring people inside on a path to wellness and stability uh, and also so that people can experience safe clean sidewalks and those are not mutually exclusive principles. And right. so I think that's what Angelinos expect to see of, of us. And that's, we're doing that. Uh, and also just, there's a, a very general unease and anxiety about public safety. 
Uh, and so we're addressing that as well. And again, one of those, it's not an either or. Um, during the summer of protests in 2020, I was one of the leaders on reform for uh, you know, armed response from, from the police department. Uh, the LAPD officers are, are my friends. Uh, I, I've worked with police officers all these years, but I also know that we could always do better. And my unarmed response pilot program in Hollywood has been very well warmly received from everyone the police department, constituents, uh, advocates for the unhoused. And so it's, the pilot project is looking good. So if someone sees someone experiencing an, an episode who might be unhoused instead of an armed response, um, I have uh, outreach practitioners who are very professional dealing with that person instead. And with the potential of bringing them inside and putting them under a roof instead of dealing with it as, as a crime when it's not a crime. Right. So those are the tough things that we're doing right now. And my constituents want safe neighborhoods. They want to feel safe where they live and where they work. And I want the same thing for them. And you don't do that by abolishing the police department. You do that by supporting our brave women and men and bringing in um, innovations that, that lessen the likelihood of uh, an unwarranted shooting. So, you know, reform in other words, and, and we're doing that. We're, we're moving on dual tracks. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that um, I always sort of have this, I don't know, I get baffled when someone says uh, completely defund police. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> do you really wanna do that? Do you know what that would mean? If yeah. uh, it's, it's a balance that we have to, you know, a strike to uh, reform and educate and, and do better, as you said. I mean, if, if there were no, if there was no police department, what would happen to the bank robbers and the thieves and the, the, the rapists and, because they're out there, it, yeah. you know, they, they just, it, it just is, it's, it's, it's a not, the majority of people are good, respectful, but, but I can tell you that there are, there's a proliferation of firearms that are in the trunks of cars driving on city streets right now. I mean, so we can't be naive about yeah. this. We have to be yeah. sensible and reasonable. People want safe neighborhoods and they also want reform at the same time. And we can absolutely do both and we are. It's true. Um, Mitch, before we go, uh, if you're talking uh, directly to your constituents, those that'll be voting this year, <laughs> what would you like them to know? What would you like to tell them? I would say that I love this city so much. It's given me everything I could have ever hoped for or dreamt of as a young man. I love my work. I have a public safety agenda and not a political agenda. And there is a huge difference between the two. I keep politics out of my decision-making. I know my neighborhoods, I know my blocks that I represent, I know the people that I represent, I know the organizations that I represent, and I couldn't be more proud uh, to work with each and every individual and group, build consensus, uh, be at your service, and pull the levers of government to make things happen that improve your quality of life. I know the women and men of the city of Los Angeles workforce, my labor friends, my business friends, 
And it takes all of it to make this city work better, the nonprofits, the volunteer core. Uh, it all has to work in concert and you cannot accomplish good things if you see everything through a political lens. You've got to see things through a public service lens. So I, I hope to have the privilege and honor of representing the 13th for another term because we're going to do incredible things over the next four and a half years. I have a feeling that you will. Uh, Mitch, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, maybe we'll talk again before, uh, before November. I would, I would love to, Vic. And um, we'll, we'll circle back after the June primary because I, I, I'm very optimistic and I'm working toward that victory in June. Indeed. Thanks again, Mitch. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for all you do as well. Really appreciate being here. Thank you. That was LA Council Member Mitch O'Farrell, uh, someone I've known for many years uh, and I admire very much um, personally and his work and service to the community. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the Little Armenia Gateway, which uh, he spearheaded, uh, which will be premiering uh, this year. Uh, Mitch, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I hope to speak with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. My guest today is Anna Khachaturian, who is an educator, founder of Phoenix Arts Foundation, as well as the producer of the brand new film Garuna, which means it's spring. Uh, I went to the premiere. It's a fantastic film, uh, very entertaining, uh, very well done. It's a, it's a very dramatic, um, large-scale feature film about... Uh, Azerbaijan's attack on Artsakh in 2016, which was a prelude to the 2020 attack that uh, saw the massacre of 5,000 plus Armenians. Uh, so Anna is uh, with me uh, today. We're going to talk about the film and what it means and uh, put it in context um, as to what is happening right now, not just in the region, but around the world. So stay tuned. Good morning, Anna. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with uh, Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing well, Vic. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for being here. I know that uh, you know, you've had a huge weekend, the film uh, Garuna, which in English means uh, it's spring, pre yes. premiered this last weekend. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great success. We're really happy. Yes, of course, I was there, you know. Want to say that out loud and, and really enjoyed the film uh what a what a big production uh, great talent uh a very it's a wonderful film to watch very entertaining first and foremost but also a very important film and we'll get into that a little bit later so but i first wanted to congratulate you on on a huge success you had a full house at the director's guild um, and so how do you feel right now as we are talking about this big venture that just like the second phase, right? Because the first phase was like the grueling production of this huge uh, feature film. And now it's the second phase, which is like sort of giving birth, if you will. Exactly. It is. And um, we feel excited and great that we were able to accomplish the first phase moved on to second and honestly we're already thinking about the third phase yeah. of the film so um thank you for being at the premiere and i'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the film it is an important one too and um we're happy we feel like we've accomplished something 
and we're thinking about the next stage, you know, taking, making the film available and taking it further on to the international film market, making sure more and more people can um, actually watch it and have access to it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for, for those listening and uh, who have no idea what I'm talking about, so just to give you a little bit of context and background, uh, my show is, of course, uh, a show about national politics and current events. And uh, this film couldn't be more relevant to what's happening today. And I'll tell you why. Um, Garuna, uh, Anna's film, Anna is a producer on the film, uh, among many other roles, is about the 2016 attack uh, on by uh, nation of Azerbaijan on Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh by its Soviet name. Uh, in 2016, Azerbaijan attacked Artsakh and killed uh, several people, which was a precursor to their genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing that they unleashed on Artsakh in 2020 and massacred over 5,000 Armenians, something that continues to this day. Uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey's campaigns of hate, uh, violence, and disinformation um, that has plagued uh, the Armenian people once again uh, just before the 107th anniversary of the Armenian genocide, something that we have sadly watched the international community turn a blind eye with deafening silence. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, very relevant today because uh, it involves geopolitics, including Russia and Ukraine and Turkey and everyone that's involved today in headline news there, except for the fact that Armenia being a tiny nation of 2.9 million people and Artsakh being an independent republic of 150,000 people, uh, having uh, next to none natural resources, um, people have international, know. yeah, international bodies have, have chosen to uh, just dismiss it. But people are dying as we speak. As I'm talking right now, <clears throat> Armenians are being massacred. Uh, Artsakh is being invaded. They are uh, performing ethnic cleansing, destroying millennia old churches. So this film is, you know, plays many roles. Um, it's not just entertainment. It's a film to, it it's education, it's uh, information. It's great for journalists. It's great for um, policymakers, uh, activists, um, anti-war movements. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I urge everyone to see Garuna or its spring, which is the English translation. Um, Anna, now let's talk about your involvement. Let's uh, sure. talk about uh, a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in this great film. Sure. Um, the film, my background is education, but I did grow up in um, a family of artists. So I was um, influenced by that a lot. So I grew up with um, art being showcased around me at all times. And I grew up with artists getting together and discussing art, discussing politics, discussing education and, you know, the current events and it was just a very um, educational environment for a child to grow up in. And um, I went into education myself. I'm a teacher. I teach, um, I used to teach high school. I now teach at an elementary uh, school and I'm also teaching at the college level. Um, I'm teaching for a teacher credentialing department, which is educating future educators. 
So, um, and as an educator, I think art plays a huge role in education and also in putting the spotlight on current events and sometimes political events. So um, with that, I decided to create a nonprofit organization because outside of my own classroom, I wanted to be able to make some sort of an impact or give voice to people who actually can make impact, so to help them out. And one way I thought I could do that was through the nonprofit to, you know, give them, if possible, any kind of, even if it's financial support, so making it, um, the issues or the artwork public, hosting fundraisers, being able to fund the, the art so that it could come about. And the biggest, um, the first biggest project was the film, Garuna, which is its spring. Um, and we worked uh, with Alexander Khachatrian, who's um, the executive producer and the lead actor and also the person who had the idea for the film and he came, he had the idea he had the vision and he sat down with the screenwriter um, they they together put together the the screenplay he told them what he wants and the message of the film and it was um inspired by what was going on, you know, what has been going on for years, you know, it started with genocide. And it, like you mentioned earlier, it just kind of keeps happening constantly, the ethnic cleansing or the hostilities against, you know, Armenians. And so he decided they should have a film about that. And as that idea and the film was being written, the script was being worked on, the, the four-day war happened in 2016 when Azerbaijan just, they, they broke the breach, uh, I mean, the, the peace, and they just attacked um, in the middle of the night. So, and, uh, you know, Armenian soldiers, just young soldiers in training, um, you know, died and they, they stood, they defended the country. But um, and then it just happened again, as you mentioned, in 2020 in a much larger scale. And um, so we uh, wanted to tell that story, you know, and one way we thought we could do it is through film. So, you know, because we're a tiny nation, sometimes our voice is not being heard. But if we put together this great film with a great cast and crew, with superb acting and then we can take it to the international um, film festivals or to, to the public and have them see it. You know, people can see and they can hear um, about Armenia. We can showcase um, what's going on in Armenia. We can showcase Armenia itself. Many people don't know, or if they've heard of Armenia, they've never seen or been there. But through the film, you can see the beautiful, um, you know, the nature, the city, just how beautiful the country itself is. And as you mentioned, those churches that are being destroyed, you know, it's just yeah. the heritage that the, all of the culture is, is just being destroyed. Yeah. Um, uh just real quick, if you are just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and I'm 
speaking with Anna Khachaturian, one of the producers of the brand new film, which just premiered in LA called Garuna, which means uh, it's spring uh, in Armenian. It's a film about the 2016 attack uh, by the nation of Azerbaijan on Artsakh, the independent Republic of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. What a what a big undertaking for you as your first project of the, it is. Of the it's nonprofit. <laughs> so good for you for uh, you know going just straight to the top. Thank um, you. There were a lot of things I liked about the film. Uh, one of them is that the storyline, right? So every story, every every film, every play has to have a a conflict, and in this conflict was generational conflict, where the grandfather was a war hero. He fought, he sacrificed a lot um, mm-hmm. uh, in the, the first war, uh, the yes. first war of liberation of Artsakh between 1990 and 94. And so um, time has passed, a couple of decades have passed, and now his uh, grandson could potentially be drafted. And uh, the father, so the, the son of the grandfather is sort of, uh, you know, not so sort of happy, happy about that. About that. <laughs> and right. so there's that sort of, um, uh, there's a, I don't want to give anything away. So there's that conflict, which was a, a great conflict to have, um, you know, and it's a love story, really. It's really it about is. love. It's a love about nation. It's a love about your, your country and uh, family um, mm-hmm. that also then teaches you the backdrop. It's in the backdrop of, what is happening um, right and what is happening you know sometimes i take liberties or i, I assume people know uh, about artsakh artsakh has been uh, an integral part of armenia for millennia and in 1921 stalin uh, just uh, cavalierly uh, actually to appease um, azerbaijan's lobbying uh, for threats of cutting off oil and gas and uh, Turkey's uh, bullying uh, post-World War One put Artsakh, uh, an area that was almost predominantly of Armenian population, under mm-hmm. the administrative control of Azerbaijan SSR. Now remember, this is the beginning of the Soviet Union when all the different republics fell under USSR. So there were right. oblasts, there were administrative, there were independent autonomous oblasts. So he did this on purpose to, to create conflicts between the different republics and different people. So they would fight each other and never sort of um, unite against the central authorities in Moscow. And as a result, Armenians of Artsakh were uh, in this absurd way put under the administrative control of the nation of Azerbaijan. And what followed was about 70 years of oppression and discrimination and uh, being treated like second-class citizens in their own nation, right. which led to finally the pogroms uh, that started in the 80s and uh, the major pogroms uh, were in 1993 Armenians of three major cities were wiped out. Over 30,000 Armenians were massacred and, uh, and a war broke out. Azerbaijan finally uh, uh, attacked Artsakh. Artsakh uh, decided to declare its independence 
just to save itself, to save its people right. and was left. So this war lasted for four years. And in 1994, a ceasefire was brokered by um, the Minsk group of OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, made up of the US, France, and Russia. And this film, Garuna, talks about the 2016 ceasefire breach by Azerbaijan um, that was basically a precursor to the very well orchestrated attack in 2020, which, uh, you know, a genocidal attack. Um, which... It is. Um, and uh, it, it saddens me to say that um, what happened in 2016 and especially what happened in 2020, it did not receive the attention of. Um, sort of powers to be, I guess, that it should have um, received. And it's un very unfortunate because we are a small nation. Um, we are overlooked because we're not part of their larger geopolitical games or games, um, I would say. But um, it is still a genocidal, um, you know, intentions because it's continuing attacks. And to this day, right now, as we speak, Azerbaijan is still pressuring whatever little Armenians are left in Artsakh in the small section that is still left as Artsakh after the 2020 war. They are still continuing the pressures, the bullying, and uh, announcements of you know um, how they should leave their homes if you want to stay alive you know, leave the lands, just oppression of the people there. And they're being driven away from their ancestral homes. And all eyes are turned to just what's happening in uh, Russia with Ukraine or in Ukraine with Russia, simply because there are larger political entities involved there and not in Armenia. And, and even more tragically, since now uh, a lot of sort of um, fossil fuel is in question around the world and the, right. the source of fossil fuel with the conflict in Ukraine and Russia, uh, Europe especially, but also other nations are now in need of Azerbaijani oil more than ever, Caspian oil. Therefore, they're even further ignoring this huge atrocity being committed against armenians they um, are the and they're yeah they are it's just um it is very sad to see that you know when nations claim that they are um democratic nations who protect the little guy and want democracy in other countries are actually ignoring the little guy simply because they have nothing to gain. And the little guy they are ignoring is a small democratic nation, um, uh, you know, the Republic of Armenia and just... You're yeah, being very I, kind. I'll go further than that and be blunt. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, my show is called, Let, you know, uh, The Blunt Post with Vic. Here's the, guy, here's the thing, what I'm disgusted with. I'm disgusted by, uh, um, Charles Michel, the co-president of uh, uh, European Union, as well as Ursula, uh, co-president of the European Union, um, and the president of the United Nations, or I should say the, the Secretary General, 
as well as leaders in the Council of Europe and OSCE, and all the other people who get on their soapboxes and talk about human rights and freedom and this and that and all this garbage, right. pardon me. Um, but when it comes to Armenia, all of that just sort of goes through, you know, it, it's just, it, it just vanishes. goes like this, a black hole. Um, yeah. They pretend they haven't seen, they're playing three monkeys and it's disgusting because if one or two churches that were over a thousand years old in Europe, in Western Europe, I should say, were destroyed or demolished, uh, it, would, it would be on the news 24 seven, right? Yeah. Imagine if the yes. Notre Dame or, uh, you know, St. Peter's Basilica or Westminster Abbey or the, the, the Cologne Cathedral was destroyed. But churches and monasteries and cemeteries that are 1,000, 1,300, 1,500 years old in Artsakh in Armenia are being destroyed by Azerbaijan and it, no one even blinks. No. So this it's is what uh, we're dealing with. And it seems, uh, and it is part of their ethnic cleansing agenda where, you know, culture is being destroyed. And so our identities are being wiped away where they're simply just leveling these to the ground. And unfortunately, another hundred years, you know, they can turn around and say, what church? There was no church here. And that has been happening. It's been happening throughout decades. It's, it's been this systemic destruction of um, culture and identity through that, um, together with systemic destruction or attacks of um, the persons, the people in, you know, specifically. Um, and uh, that distraction of culture is also being showcased in the movie in a way where I don't want to give too much away but um, the main main character is a talented musician who wins competitions and is invited to go and perform on international um, stages and there's just this I don't there's this violence against culture that is portrayed in the scene. Um, you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about with the destruction of the violin, destruction of the music. It's kind of symbolic of the culture that's also being destroyed. Not just the human lives are taken away, that's but true. identity and culture is being taken away. And we wanted to, um, you know, point that out through the film. And we're hoping that that comes across because there's a huge difference between just war um, and soldiers. And then there's a difference between just simple aggression and menace where you're being destroyed when you're not at war. Just real quick, if you are just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and I'm speaking with Anna Khachaturian, one of the producers of the brand new film, which just premiered in LA called Garuna, which means uh, it's spring uh, in Armenian. It's a film about the 2016 attack uh, by the nation of Azerbaijan on Artsakh, the independent Republic of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. I haven't called what happened in, uh, well, in 2016 or 2020 a war. Uh, yeah. You know, Which I've I've been producing really my own documentary. <laughs> yeah, I've been producing my own documentary, which which should 
well, will be coming out soon. And in it, I don't call it a war. I call it a genocidal attack with ethnic cleansing because that's what it was. Because it wasn't about two nations having a dispute that escalated into a war. This was a systematic um, um, plan to, mm-hmm. to commit genocide and ethnic cleansing against people from their own ancestral home uh, right. of millennia uh, and millennia plural. Um, thousands of years, and anyone uh, who doesn't know Artsakh and uh, had never heard of it, it's fine. But please do right. Google it, look it up. Right. You will, you will really, um, you'll be amazed at what you see. And then watch the film, watch uh, Garuna or its spring. Um, so you'll thoroughly enjoy um, <laughs> seeing it in the backdrop of what you've learned. Um, yeah, and I think we tried to make sure to portray that in the movie also, especially the the 2016 attack and then after the 2020, since the our film um, happens or the actions in the film happen when the 2016 attack go, uh, happens, it, it kind of showcases how, you know, simple life people are going through, um, living their life, it's peace, there's love, there's music, there's art, and even the soldiers are, you know, just doing their duty to the country, just going into service, there's service, and um, and then, you know, they're having fun, there's this scene where, you know, the soldiers are having fun, it's their free time, you know, and then they, they report back to their posts, they're having a conversation, and all of a sudden, there's this attack out of nowhere. So it just kind of showcases how there was no war. It was just peaceful life, people were going about their, you know, lives, daily lives, and then um, literally bombs were dropped on their heads. So you talked about, before we tell people where to go to watch the film and all of that, <laughs> talked briefly about the next phase, which is um, film festivals and international audiences and such. What is like the sort of the grand plan? What's next in the, ch- in the next chapter of Garuna as then- it sort of uh, moves on from Los Angeles? So the next chapter of Garuna would be since part of it is educational and it's art um, and it's based on true events, we want to have a wide audience for this film. So to take it as far as it could go. And the plan would be um, attending international film festivals. uh, First of all, to not just for the film, but also for the country of Armenia and to showcase our art you know, here's a representation of Armenian cinema, Armenian actors. Um, here's this little country that can produce this. And this is what's happening in that country. Um, and then um, we would like to find a distributor for the film and make it available to the public just outside outside of the, you know, the film industry so that at any point, anyone who wants to watch this film can just either go to the theater and watch it 
or could, you know, turn on Netflix and watch it or, you know, Amazon, whatever the avenue is so that it's available to people and not just Armenians, but everyone. So the film is in Armenian, but it has English subtitles. So anyone um, who can read the English subtitles can watch it. And then hopefully, of course, there are certain countries who, you know, do their own dubbing for the films in their own language so that their um, audiences can watch it. So. so the film is available for a lucky distributor. Yes. I can, <laughs> so, I can propose that, make the most attractive proposal to you. Yes, a lucky distributor can contact us and um, we will be happy to speak with them and see um, how we can work and where we can take this. Uh, so um, for those, I know that it's playing in LA. So it, it is. So right now people... we had oh, our ahead. premiere. Uh, yeah, we had our premiere this weekend. And then starting Friday, April 8th, the film is available. Uh, it will be screening at um, Lemley Theater in Glendale, just that one location for right now. Um, there are showings every day at 7 p.m. And anyone can contact Lemley or just go to the Lemley Glendale website and purchase tickets um to view tickets are already on sale so there's a pre-sale of tickets happening right now it is available for viewing um so that is uh lamley glendale make a night of it go have dinner and then go to lamley and see the film starting on friday the 8th um, and uh and after that just look for uh more locations and other information uh, is there a website um there is a there is a website there are two websites that they can contact there's one for um phoenix art foundation and that's just www.phoenixartfoundation.org um and then garuna has its own website which is uh, being updated and developed and that one is www.garuna.am Okay, that's Garuna, which is G-A-R-U-N-A dot A-M, which is for Armenian. Yes. Um, to find out more information, uh, meet the cast, the crew, the producers, the talent that goes into it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very striking film. The, the war sequences are just really superbly done. Um, yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you also see the spec spectacle and the spectacular uh, of Armenia. I mean, one of the opening scenes yeah. opens at the Temple of Garni, which is a first century uh, pagan temple. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful drone shot of uh, Garni with a, with a violinist, you know, one of the leads playing a violin. Uh, it's um, a beautiful film. Um, Anna, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Um, I'm trying to think, Vic, <laughs> we talked a lot about, um, everything, but I think, uh, maybe we covered it all. One thing that I do want to mention is because this is the age of social media, <laughs> I, um, uh, we shared the websites, but Garuna has a uh, really nice uh, Instagram page. So I would say Instagram page as of right now, 
holds more information, more pictures than the website itself. But that will change soon. We will be up to date with the website as well. But for all the all of those social media, uh, you know, buffs, the the Facebook and the Instagram page is Garuna Film. So it's at Garuna Film is the handle for both of those sites. Okay. And of course, uh, Phoenix is, Art Foundation is on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, so hold that, just just uh, keep that in mind. Garuna Film on Instagram, uh, as well as uh, Phoenix uh, Art, Art Foundation. Foundation, uh, also on social media. Check those out. I know that I'm following Garuna as of a few days ago. <laughs> Thank you. And so I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, being here. Uh, I'm, I, I don't need to say good luck because I don't think you need it. Um, I'll, I'll take it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, we Thank you so much for having me here and giving me the chance to talk about the film, talk about its importance. And thank you for seeing it. I'm glad I you it. liked it. And I hope everyone goes out and sees Garuna or its spring at uh, Lamley Theater starting next, well, this Friday, the 8th. Lamley in Glendale, and then after that, just uh, just look for listings. Um, yes. And uh, and uh, with that, I will end. Thank you again, Anna. Thank you, thank you, Vic. Glad to be here. That was Anna Khachaturian, who is the producer of Garuna or It's Spring, uh, a film that uh, premiered this past weekend, and uh, it will be playing at Lamley Glendale. So. Check your listings. Uh, and I thank you very much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. And I hope to chat with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit the at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. Vic Jarami. The Blunt Post with Vic.